Hello, beautiful. This is Reverend Jennifer Hadley, and the recording you're about to listen to is part of the Living a Course in Miracles teleclass. Our intention in offering this class is to give you clear tools and practices that you can use to align with love every day in every area of your life. No one can do your healing for you. You must decide to choose love in every moment to the very best of your ability. Remember, miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. Intend to live a miraculous life of love and share the benefits of your healing and your expansion with everyone because you're one with them. Please pause the recording before the class starts and write down your intention in listening to the class. Partner up with your own higher Holy Spirit self. And please go to jenniferhadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the class. So let's take that breath and place our hand on our heart and turn within. We place our hand on our heart in part because it's a physical reminder that the kingdom is within. And this is the thing that we are placing first and foremost. The kingdom's pre-installed. We're opening our heart and mind to know it fully and completely as our true identity. And we also place our hand on our heart and take this breath of love and gratitude because it lifts our vibration. It centers our mind into love and to opening our awareness to hear what the Holy Spirit is pulling forward through us. So we're grateful to open ourselves to remember our true identity, to release any attachments we have to playing small, to living in a false identity. We're releasing any sense of lack, limitation, separation, and we're opening our hearts and minds to a full understanding of the unity of all life, and we're celebrating that together. We are truly sharing the benefits of our healing and our expansion with everyone because we're one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen. So, feels good. So, our topic this week is healing in mind, healing depression. And I think it was in Living a Course in Miracles 2, the topic was all healing is at the level of the mind. And what does that really mean in understanding that? And uh, people have been saying they're really experiencing the healing from this Living a Course in Miracles series. And so many people uh, are challenged with healing at one level or another. And for many, the whole concept that all healing is at the level of the mind is... um, it's like the mind fights that idea. No, no, it has to be, the trouble has to be out here. No, I have cancer because I was exposed to something. I have, you know, this challenge because I have, you know, because these, I'm depressed because I was 
raped. I'm depressed because I lost my job, right? Is people, they want to find an excuse out there to blame it on. They, they want to have that reason. And taking personal responsibility without blame is something that people have to learn how to do because we're taught the opposite. No, responsibility is blame. Blame is what we do. So just starting with that one thing of how do you take responsibility without blame? Yeah, I think right away just the definition of seeming to come to this planet or come to time and space is is really a reflection of this this belief in lack and the belief in wanting to find a false cause for that lack looking outside in the world and and that could be for that lack of happiness joy peace or lack of material possessions or anything and so that's really a reflection of forgetting the true cause which we could say is source or spirit or god and looking outside for externals so the first step in claiming responsibility is is to turn it around and begin to open to that idea to I am responsible for my state of mind. I am not the victim of the world I see. I am not at the mercy of the world I see. And knowing full well it's going to take a lot of practice. That it's just like not going to be something where you just say it two or three times and click your heels together and and suddenly ah that's it. Uh, it could happen that way. That's the good thing. You know, if you really have a sincere desire, it can be a flash like that too. But for most people, it's going to be of very much of a practice and just reorienting and saying, no, it's, I'm, I'm hurt by nothing but my thoughts. I'm only upset for the thoughts that I'm thinking, the beliefs that I'm holding on to, and it really doesn't have anything to do with the world. It seems to be outside of me. And so this understanding that I'm only hurt by the thoughts that I'm thinking that level of taking responsibility, many, many people avoid. They desperately avoid it. And there, you can't have any happiness until you're willing to take responsibility. It's like wandering in a dark forest until you're willing to take responsibility for the thoughts you think. So for someone who is just so deeply entrenched and placing blame, or even blaming themselves, you know, because so many people are truly attacking themselves all the time. I think in a, in a certain way that that is the biggest illness, if you will, that people have is the self-attack. So getting out of that kind of washing machine loop, what do you think is the fastest way? Well, I think the fastest way I would say first is you have to have a a contact point, a touchstone, something you can relate to. So if you meet someone or you read about someone or even some of the saints and mystics and avatars, it's just like this bursting example of it's possible. It's actually possible. And so I, I think that was the first step. Then the second step is, is having the faith and trust in yourself that you can go the distance and you can do whatever it takes. You can do the mind training. 
And then third, the trust in the higher power that's with you, because really it's going to be that working with the higher power is going to be how it occurs. It's not going to be a personal achievement or goal. So those are the three things that come to mind immediately. Well, you know, one of the th- issues with trust and faith is most people, and I know this has been an issue for me too, most people, they they will have experiences like this. They'll say, I'm not going to eat any of those cookies. And then the next thing they know, they've eaten 10 of them. Or they say, I'm not going to sleep with that person again. And then the next thing they know, <laughs> they're waking up beside them, you know. So we all have these kinds of experiences. We say we're not going to do something again, and then we do it again. So we develop this complete lack of trust and faith in our own ability to keep any kind of agreement, right? Yes. yes. I mean, that is so debilitating. And then what happens is people don't keep their commitments to themselves, and their experience in life is that they're betrayed at every turn, and things are unsubstantial. Things fall through the cracks. They they can't seem to get anything going. They get the promise of a job, and then it falls through. Somebody says, I love you, and then they leave them. It's just a constant sense of betrayal, and it's really an outpicturing of the fact that they're not willing to keep the commitments to themselves. Yep, that's it. It's it's like... Underneath that, I feel it's this uh, unworthiness issue. In other words, they don't really feel like they're worthy of commitment. They're worthy of consistent mind training, or they're they're not worthy of peace of mind. And then they just draw forth all these symbols and scenarios and situations and witnesses that that make it like a loop where they're convinced, like, oh, there it is. There's the evidence again. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And it's very self-defeating, you know, especially when we think that our higher self is just buried under all of these shenanigans and these disguises, and we really need to learn to see these disguises for what they are and say, no, I am worthy and I'm not going to bite on those tricks anymore. And, you know, when you fall into that mental pattern that you you just mentioned about uh, really, I call it gathering the evidence to support the case that you're not worthy or that the world is is broken and you, you or you're broken you can't be fixed when you're gathering the evidence to support your case what what I say it's like you now you've become an attorney arguing for the ego yeah you're collecting a lot of evidence and you're you know you're building a case instead of of dismantling the case and the holy spirit is always going to dismiss the case uh but it's like as long as you feel like the case is for you and it's uh it's an airtight case and there's no way out then it just seems to reflect back to you that just that way and you know from my in my own exploration that sense of unworthiness for me i recognized that it came from i knew what the loving choices were but i didn't choose them and so i didn't feel worthy of the great love because I had opportunities to fulfill my holy purpose and express love, and I didn't take them. I refused them. I, in fact, said, I don't feel like it. I'd rather attack that person. You know, I'd rather think the thoughts of lack and attack. I'd rather think the thoughts of blame and shame. And so if you keep that up enough and you don't really work to counteract it and reveal the truth of your being, you you begin to feel 
completely like you're falling into quicksand. Yep. It's like it's like every time that happens, it's just a wrong-minded decision, and and when you perpetuate that by choosing wrongly or choosing erroneously, then that does seem to have a self-fulfilling prophecy of bringing you these upsetting emotions and this feeling of lack. And I really enjoy the definition in A Course in Miracles of depression, where it says depression comes from a sense of being deprived of something you want and do not have. You are deprived of nothing except by your own decision, and then decide otherwise. So I like that, something that you want but do not have. So there's two things there, that this idea of wanting and the idea of not having. And when you put those together, it's kind of this searching mechanism of searching outside and never being fulfilled. And I think what happens when you finally start to take responsibility and you start to feel this healing energy and joy moving in you and through you, is you start to feel that what you want is what you have. You want peace and you begin to experience that you have it. And that kind of ignites this, oh, this is real, this is natural, this is what I was seemingly missing all along, and it's a state of mind, and I am responsible for it, and I can choose it. I can actively actively choose it. It doesn't have to be uh, this elusive thing that other people can choose, but you see that you can do it yourself. Yeah, the the amazing fact is, it's, and it's an absolute fact, I've seen it over and over again, I've seen people make the decision to hold, I call it holding your feet to the fire, where you, you decide, I'm going to do the deepest practice I can do. I am going to really require of myself to make loving choices and to give up the thoughts of lack and attack, to give up the thoughts of judgment. And uh, as I was, we were talking about it earlier, I place them on the altar. You know, I, I think of I, giving it to the Holy Spirit, saying, this thought no longer interests me. I, I'm, I don't need it anymore. And I ask for assistance. Will you help me remove it from my mm-hmm. mind? But if people aren't willing to do that level of discipline, there's no way out. There's no way out. And then, how could you not get depressed? Yeah, it's almost like it's an, that would, of course, be the outcome with that kind of thinking. And then, of course, this happy, joyful, free-flowing experience would be the, the outcome of right-minded thinking, of thinking with your source and try, instead of trying to think against your source. So what we discover, I think, is uh, we come to a sense of disillusionment with this world of seeing, oh, I must have been wrong, I must have chosen wrongly, uh, and I wanted a better way. And everyone comes to it in their own time and their own readiness, but, you know, it's beautiful to see that it is that simple, that at some point you get tired of of the sadness, of the loneliness, of the depression, and you something rises up inside and says, you know, I want this, and I deserve this, and I am going to experience this, and when the mind is ready, then it just ignites the healing process. It's true. Last week we were at lunch and we were talking. I was asking you, did you ever have a time in your life where you felt suicidal or depressed? And you said... Oh, yes. 
<laughs> so funny. We say yes. Oh, we, yeah, we were feeling that way. Now we laugh about it. So we were comparing notes. I think it was in our twenties <laughs> yeah. too. We both were going through it about the same time. Yeah, I was. It was around the time I was twenty-six, twenty-seven years old. And uh, yeah, I I reached a point where it was so clear. Uh, I I didn't have a clue. I didn't know where to get a clue. I didn't know anybody that had a clue. And so I was clueless. Yeah. And it made me want to kill myself because I I didn't I didn't imagine that it could get better. Yeah. And I knew that I didn't know what I was doing because I I was able to accomplish the things in the world that I thought would make me happy, but they weren't making me happy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And for me it's kind of I also felt a sense of accomplishment, but also uh, there was a sense of deep, like, boredom. Uh, that was part of the disillusionment, like, the, that yada, 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 like, this, what's, where's the, where's the passion, where's the spark? And, and that can easily turn into depression uh, when you just feel a boredom that just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. It just seems like there's no way out. And yet... It's just like a contrast experience because it's so unnatural to our mind as the way God created it that uh, it turns into a big wake-up call that the Spirit even uses that huge contrast of the extreme sadness, depression, boredom, and then these bursts of of joy that can come. Sometimes it's just like little flickers of light that come through and it takes our breath away. Like, oh, what was that? Oh, my gosh. And because it's like, wow, that's something happened there and then you know we start to get more than flickers of light and that's very encouraging and then for most of us i know for you and i it just caught fire you know it it turned from a flicker of light into a forest fire and not only experiencing it for ourselves but of course this forest fire of desiring to just extend it to all of our beloveds uh which which really is just that desire to to for love to be itself, not that it's trying to go out and reach people. It's just, it's just so radiant, and we just get totally swallowed up by it. It's true. You know, I I love that you brought up the subject of boredom, uh, and uh, sometimes I'll hear somebody say, uh, "Oh, what'd you do this weekend?" And the person will say, "Oh, nothing. I was so bored." And uh, I remember hearing somebody say that. Oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, and I thought, gosh, I think the last time I was bored, I was like 12 or something. You know? <laughs> but, um, but, but that's not true. But, but it feels like a long time since I was bored. And the, I'm curious what your take is, David, because my sense about boredom is, in order to be bored, you have to be working extremely hard to deny that divine connection. Because when you're living in that spark of divine connection, there's there's such an you know a constant stream of creativity and just the the breathtaking clarity and and all of that that it seems inconceivable that you could be bored. So it just feels like your mind has to work so intently to deny that and experience boredom. Yeah, I can relate to that because it it seems like uh, that to really be bored, um, it's a it's when you think of it, it's like it's an incredible achievement, uh, and 
incredible, meaning unbelievable, in the sense that that it does take so much work to block the light out, the light of who you are. Mm -hmm. And yet when the mind becomes so accustomed and familiar with these defense mechanisms and these seeming delusional patterns and everything, then it, it seems to flip around where the sadness, the unhappiness, the boredom seem natural. And then basically happiness seems like an elusive dream. Right. And it's so when people will say to me, you know, how can you be so happy? How can you be so consistently happy? And it's more that feeling, how could I not be? Uh, because of what I'm experiencing and what I know to be true and what is sourcing through me, how could I not be happy? It would be incredulous, you know, to think of myself as bored or sad. And yet we're here to talk about this, this turnaround because when you believe that, that happiness is elusive, you know, it seems to be an all-pervasive belief. One idea I was sharing recently, uh, just a few days ago, was that since all everything is mind and everything is consciousness, that whatever you desire, you actually desire for the whole universe because actually, really, literally, you are the whole universe. So if you desire a Snickers bar, the whole, desi whole cosmos <laughs> desires a Snickers bar. If you want a Coke or a Pepsi, the whole cosmos wants a Coke or a Pepsi. It's, at first, you know, it's like, oh, come on. But the more you open up to it, you start to realize that the mind is that powerful and that these private worlds with private thoughts and all these people we see are just reflecting our, our beliefs about who we are. And then they're acted out. Sometimes the fantasies are just seemingly thoughts in mind. Sometimes they're acted out as characters in the dream world. But, but our mind is that powerful. And you do have to come to some acknowledgement of the power of the mind in order to actually have that turnaround. It occurs to me to ask you, David, what is your perception about the relationship between resistance and reluctance and uh, depression? Yeah, I think... I think resistance, I mean, I did enjoy the psychotherapy pamphlet, I believe it was, where Jesus, you know, described, described resistance in a positive way in the sense that it's just the ego's interpretation of progress and growth, which to me means the progress and growth, the expansion of the mind and consciousness is constantly occurring, and the ego is not happy about that because it's being undone. So it describes the feeling the the contraction, the catharsis, or the, or more the the slowness of 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 the mind as resistance, when actually it's just interpreting against the awakening. And I find that as soon as you start to release those interpretations, you start to receive the benefits. So uh, in one sense, um, I think the resistance is directly related, and uh, it's just more of a of an interpretation that coming from the ego. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm and it, it I'm sure you have seen it that people who have been intensely depressed, suicidal as we were talking about before, can literally turn things around so quickly that as they say, it can make your head spin. Yeah. People think that oh no, this is this is going to be a slow drip process. But it's it's really only according to your willingness to surrender your point of view. Yep. Yeah, I think that's it. It can be 
very, very radical and very, very fast. Uh, for some people it is, but it's like, it's just an assumption to think that, that those kind of thoughts, attack thoughts or suicidal thoughts will, will last you your whole lifetime. Because a lot of people have gone through those periods of time in very, very dark phases and they've, they've come out soaring on the other side, so to speak, and, uh, they just were really were ready for a change of mind. They were ready to sing another tune. And so, talking about the darkness, now some spiritual seekers go through what they term a dark night of the soul. How do you, is there a difference between that and depression? I think, yeah, depression seems to be more of something that a lot of people can relate to. And I think the dark night of the soul is for people that have kind of consciously been on a spiritual journey and they drop deeper and deeper and deeper into the, the unconscious mind. They, they get so deep that, that they start feel, start to feel rage or anger, depression, sadness, and they look around and there's no trigger. They can't even see anything in the world. They may be out in the woods like we are in a beautiful jungle here and it's idyllic. You know, the world would say, well, you've got a sunny day and a beautiful jungle. What's the problem? But when you go into that much deeper sense of letting go, where it's like the ego is screaming inside, don't abandon me. You swore you would never turn your back on me. Uh, that's what I call the dark night of the soul. And so I kind of reserve the, the term more for when you're going really deep into the mind, into mysticism, versus more generalized depression which seems to be related to a lot of things in the world, but really isn't. Uh, it's just the ego associates it with a sense of deprivation and lack in, in worldly terms. Now, I, I, I truly believe that love is the healer, that love is the only healer there is. And for people who are having any kind of a healing challenge, that love can heal any kind of a challenge that you're having, whether it's physical mental, emotional, financial, love can actually heal it. Now, we don't know how it works in a sense. You know, we don't really know how it works. It's like we, we, we're we not able to see beyond time and space right now to see how it works, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work and that it's not working every single time. And so it is a matter of having trust and faith in love being the healer. Now and and again, we we are cultivating the ability to be loving, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be generous, to be patient. All these kinds of expressions of love, without giving to get. Yes. So it's because love doesn't give to get. Yeah. You know, love is unconditional. So for people who are depressed or uh, maybe you know, a lot of times. With depression, there's a sense of deep rage, like a controlled rage, along with that depression. For people who are feeling that, how can they employ love to assist them in healing, but not fall into that trap of giving to get? Yeah, it's, I think um, that the trap is is what seems to make it difficult, but. Uh, I remember Michael Jackson one time said, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> and I, I think you could say you want to be a, a giver, not a getter. 
uh, is a quick way to, to remember it, but, but also that because that the giving doesn't have any kind of conditions along with it, um, you need to have some experiences of that. I remember, uh, Oprah Winfrey on her, on her show, she would always, you know, ask people to keep a gratitude journal. And it was like giving people, cultivating good mental habits to start to, to give gratitude for everything in their lives. Just to actually sit down and spend five or ten minutes to try to think, what are you really grateful for? And you can start anywhere. That's the best thing. You could start with something physical, something tiny seemingly in your awareness but it's it's a start you know that's the little spark and then you write down more and more and more it's like you start to turn the tables on the ego you start to actually look for gratitude you start to be like a gratitude finder or a love finder and not be a blame finder or not have that question always niggling in there well what's in it for me or what am i going to get out of this it's so habitual with the ego but there comes a point where it starts to feel real good just to share and extend and be helpful. And then the spirit takes it much further and shows us how to really be truly helpful. And it, it literally lifts us up and takes us all the way home. Yes. Yes. Now, it, 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 what occurs to me is there are folks over the years, you probably have this experience too, folks will come, they'll ask, they're, they're suffering. They're, they're mentally, emotionally suffering in some way. Maybe they're physically suffering. They're asking for assistance and support in finding their way out of the, the darkness and the despair. So I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll give suggestions. Well, you know, gratitude practices, different kinds of practices. And, uh, cause it's always about the practices. You know, it's, it's never, well, go see this guy, give him 20 bucks and he'll give you the thing that will make you feel better. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's always an inside job. You know, it's always about developing the willingness and the consistency and the commitment. It's never, ever going to ever, ever be about anything else. So what I see, though, is some people will actually do those practices, and then they will have miraculous healing experiences, and they'll be led from one thing to another, and everything will, you know, they'll be lifted up and provided for. And then other people will come back six months later, a year, and the problem is now worsened. And they can't seem to get any headway. And I'll ask them, so did you do the things that we talked about last time? And they will either say one of two things. They'll either say, no, I didn't do those things. Or they'll say, what were those things? Which is the same as saying no. <laughs> uh, do you see that consistently, too, that there are folks that just, they keep asking the same questions. The challenge is getting more intense, and yet they they ask for advice, but they don't follow. They don't. They're not willing to do the practices. Yeah, yeah. It does seem to be that, that there's a readiness thing in there, um, because you know the old saying: you can't you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, it, it has to be voluntary, and there has to be a readiness underneath it, and so. I, I kept bringing that back to my own mind. Every time I would find somebody that was unwilling or that seemed to be delaying, procrastinating, whatever, I would just hear the spirit inside say, well, what about you? You know, it, it was always, what's, what is it? It's your lesson. It's your lesson. What about you? What about you? And I, I love that. I would be like, oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, that helps. 
and then I would focus on, you know, what my intention was, what my purpose was, get back right on track. And eventually, if you do that enough, you find out that it is all about your mind and it is about having that connection with spirit. And it's real simple that way. It's not a complicated formula. But without that that habit, it's just it seems like the ego mind is always looking outside. It's looking for things. It doesn't really want to heal. The ego does not want to heal. It, it feels that it will be undone if the healing occurs. So it's coming up with all kinds of distractions and rebelliousness to to actually saying yes, but at some point that, that does occur. Well, what you're sharing about there, that's such a deep practice to be able to say instead of looking at, you know, at the person and thinking, oh, they're separate from me, they have a problem, but say, oh, what about me? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that is such a masterful practice. And it's interesting because as you were talking about it, David, I was reminded of the Ho'oponopono. Here we are in Hawaii yeah. and that beautiful practice that, uh, and Dr. Hugh Lenz teaching, of course, many others too, but, and, and his work in the psychiatric ward there yeah. and, uh, just doing the practice of Ho'oponopono, he was able to assist so many people in healing. Yeah. Yeah, I think in one sense we have chosen a path of, of being in one sense what the Course would call miracle workers. And some people are very familiar with like Ramana Maharshi and, and his path of stillness and self-inquiry, uh, you know, who is the I and so forth. This is quite, it could be quite rare that people can consistently apply who is the I with everything in this world. You know, it's like talk about a shutdown, the mind's like, oh, come on. You know, how many, who is the, who is the I do I have to do here and, and to, on a daily basis? But we're following the path, which is more uh, miracles are given us to share and extend, and we're saying yes. In fact, I do remember the story of Bill Thetford, uh, because one, at one point in absence from Felicity, uh, uh, Jesus uh, and was working with Helen and Bill, and uh, Helen was asking uh, Jesus for a prayer for Bill, because his mind would get distracted so easily, like for most of us. And... And basically, Jesus gave him uh, a four-word prayer. It's great to get a four-word prayer from Jesus Christ to bring you back. And the four words were, here I am, Lord. <laughs> so that was four words for Bill, here I am, Lord. It was just, it's coming back to, here I am, ready to serve, ready to be devoted, ready to do what you asked me to do. And and I think for us, that that's been our our life, you know, it has been a service, not kind of in a social service or trying to save the world or save this or that, but but really salvation is of the mind, and we've been really tuned in to use me, use me anyway, give it all over to you, use me. Then we start to experience miracles. Then this darkness of unworthiness and lack starts to not be like a big ball. It starts to shrink down to a dot. And then after a while, the dot doesn't have a chance <laughs> against the light, you know. And and before you know it, you feel like you are the light. I love that. And the here I am, Lord, also here, here is the I am presence. Here, yeah. where yeah. I am, is the I am. I yeah. am that I am. Yes. And uh, consistently remembering that. Yeah, very powerful. Yeah. Very simple, but very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I have that book, but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
we're here in Hawaii too, and some people don't know that uh, Bill Thetford's teachers uh, live here. You know, in Honolulu, I just visited them, and they're 85 years old, sparklers of joy. And and really, when people say, "Well, actually, David Bill was one of the first two Course in Miracles students on the planet, so he didn't really have teachers," you know, unless it's considered Jesus or something. He worked with Jesus, and but but actually, what I mean by that is the inspirations that when he went. To Southern California, La Jolla. These were people that were living it, practicing the principles, and and truly had, having an experience. And that's really what the course is about. And I know you and I, Jennifer, we we can talk and talk and talk about experience and practice uh, because for us that's been the way, and we have experienced it ourselves. So we are very natural to to share it and, and offer it and suggest it for for those that ask, because it's worked, and we just simply are offering what's worked for us. You know, I want to ask you, uh, uh, David, I encounter some people that, and, and I, I was one of them, where there there's an intellectual pursuit of spiritual knowledge and insight. It, well, not insight, true insight, but more information. And so people are reading all these books. And they're taking all these classes and they're studying and you know there's a sense of they're looking for the <clears throat> the perfect guru the perfect book that somehow in the guru or the book is their awakening is the answer it's outside of them it's always outside of them and very often the more they pursue that knowledge and they think they know but they don't live it and for me, I thought I understood the law of cause and effect because I could speak about it, I could teach about it, but until I started to apply it to every minute of my life, I I didn't know the law of cause and effect. I just had a concept. I didn't know it in my heart. And so there are, so I just see so many spiritual seekers who seem to be stuck in the gathering of information. And they do, I think, have a tendency towards depression, towards that disillusionment. But sometimes they're comfortable enough that there isn't a sense of uh, real challenge and, um, what's the word, like a crisis, to propel them to really move into that surrender. So for people who are kind of riding that edge of, uncomfortability and comfort, you know, like creature comforts, mm-hmm. but the, they're becoming more and more despairing, <clears throat> but kind of secretly sometimes, mm-hmm. because it's not cool to be depressed and despairing if you're a spiritual know-it-all. Right. If you're a self-help author, you better not be too depressed or it can hurt <laughs> the fan base. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that book, uh, that movie, rather, uh, what was it called? Yes Man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So to to someone who's in that situation where they feel like they know so much, but they just don't put it into the living practice, and so they're in this kind of malaise, what would you say to them? Well, yeah, the bubble's going to pop, and the bubble is the idea that that you're trying to apply like the same – principles of learning as you learn in school and high school and college and university to the spiritual journey, and it's just not going to work. 
uh, in fact, people will see the course and they'll go, oh, I could stick my teeth into this, 1,200-some-odd pages. I'm going to learn it all, and I'm going to be an expert at it, and I'm going to teach it. And the ego might even add a few other things, like I'm going to be famous at teaching it, or I'm going to be prolific at teaching it, or this or that. When actually it's more like the Buddha had said about emptying the mind of everything you think you think and think you know, and that's when the bubble pops, when you start to see that, that you will never, ever intellectually understand A Course in Miracles. You know, once you have that bubble-popping experience, everything will shift from that point. Because as long as you believe that it's possible, the ego will push and push and push and strive and strive and strive to kind of like, kind of collectively uh, pull it together to kind of, it's almost like the more... Uh, concepts that you learn, the closer you're reaching a threshold, and somehow if you add more and more and more to it, you'll reach a threshold and go, I, I got it. Where's my diploma? But it, the Holy Spirit is not waiting with a diploma. The Holy Spirit is waiting with a needle to pop that bubble, and it can be a big pop. And then, and then at this point, you know, it starts to get very, very humble. Mm-hmm where, you know, less is more. You start to go down that thing where you start to be emptied out more and more, emptied out of opinions, emptied out of concepts. And you never know what's going to come out of your mouth, but you you know it's going to come from a, an authentic expression, not from a regurgitating back something that you learned in the past. It's going to be bubbling out of you, and you're going to have all this sparkling energy behind it because it's the spirit pouring through. It's not coming from concepts. So I think it's, uh, I always used to laugh about A Course in Miracles because in the form of a course, I said, oh, that's really funny because it's all about undoing and it's really all about unlearning and yet it's got all those terms of curriculum and learning goal and, and so on and so forth as if it's kind of sucking the ego in to another great adventure and then all of a sudden the plug gets pulled, the needle pops the bubble and you are filled with grace and gratitude mm. that it wasn't anything that you thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be glad you're wrong. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Thank you, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. I knew we would get around to uh, humility because in – and this, this was something that uh, – I was so grateful for this awareness when it came – that all the spiritual exp- <clears throat> expansion – that people are desiring, it rests on a foundation of true humility. That if you don't have that, that all the doors of true mystical perception and opening, I think, are closed unless you have true humility. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and the only way that you come into that experience is through listening to the Holy Spirit and following. There's not going to be any kind of curriculum in the world it's not like with like Toastmasters, you go to learn how to speak, or you you go do some kind of seminar on humility and whatever. It's it's just quite the opposite that you start to listen, and the more you listen and follow, you just get more into the I do not know, I do not know the thing I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going, how to look upon myself for the world. Jesus calls this salvation, and it's really what Buddha called emptiness, empty the mind of everything, and and. To me, it's like when Jesus was teaching, you know, don't let one hand know what the other hand is doing. We, we become so, uh, so much vessels, uh, translucent vessels for the Spirit that, that we 
are unaware of what's pouring through us. Uh, there's no egoic or personal awareness of it. We, we are just pure vessels, and then we actually merge with the light that we are vessels for, and we see that we are actually the light. And that's, to me, what the true humbleness is. There's no personal goal. There's no personal agenda. There's no personal achievement. The person is, is gone in that humbleness, and it's just pure spirit, pure spirit. Yes, and it's that the the humility arises when we're willing to no longer see ourselves as separate and to no longer see someone else's concerns as separate from ours. It's that in that joining comes the humility because it takes it takes true humility to have an understanding of the oneness. You can't think you're better than or less than and know that you are one with. Yeah, exactly. That's that's well said. That's it can't be both. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't it's not even equal to. Yeah. You know, it's not better than, not less than, not equal to. You're one with. And therein lies the humility and upon that place of humility then it opens the door to the true perception and healing. So for me, folks who are um, challenged mentally uh, with depression, with sadness, with disillusionment, to really begin to look for where are you thinking you're better than or less than and begin to address that and say, is it even possible? Yeah, yeah. It, it makes true humility, I still, I still cry at humility. I still have the tears of of joy that roll down. I remember uh, a couple of years ago uh, a young man wrote to me from prison and it was a handwritten letter and uh, it was so sincere. It was just oozing with sincerity page after page. I read it to this whole group of people that I'm living with and we all were crying uh, at this letter because it was just this sincere call for help, this sincere call for joining and and went from solitary confinement. He's he's now still he's still living in this community uh, that I have in in Utah. But he started off in solitary confinement in prison, and frustration, anger, despair, and then and then here comes this handwritten letter in the mail uh, to the monastery where we're all just bawling uh, because it was it was just so humble. It's just humility was pouring through it, and we recognize that. I think all of us can relate to that. We cry. Actually, we cry when we come in, in the presence of it because we're just so, we feel the humbleness and and it leads to heights of happiness, you know, because it takes that to be open, to be guided and to be led. Without that, the ego kind of abstinence and, and it's just, uh, it's very stubborn. The ego is just very stubborn. It wants to be right, but this just turns it in the whole other direction. Yeah, that sincerity is so touching to when you reach that place or you see someone has reached that place where in their mind they're saying, take everything I would hold uh, in place of you, God. You know, everything that I would cherish above you, God, all false idols. Help me release them from my mind. And uh, it's... It, it is such a wonderful place to get to. It is unlocking great joy to get to that place where you really, all in all humbleness, say, I, I'm not interested in what I think anymore. Yeah. I'm just not interested. And it doesn't serve me to think these thoughts anymore. So I can let 
you know, that individuality go, that need to be different, separate yeah. go, and yeah. I'm, I'm ready to join now. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can feel it right now. It's yeah. a prayer. It's a dance. It's a song. You get swept up in it, and you know, and, and it's everything, and everything else of the world just fades. You lose track of time and space. Everything that once seemed important is just dissolved away, and uh, and you feel transformed. You feel like, okay, this is it. The great relief. Yeah. Great relief to no longer try to keep up appearances and be get, trying to get and get and make and all of that. You can let all that fall away and actually accept the extraordinary, the, just the unbelievable, ever-unfolding gift that God is. So it does take tremendous effort to deny that the kingdom is pre-installed. I, uh, what, what comes into my mind, David, is to address um, some things we were talking about this earlier today, that, that it's fashionable now for people to say, oh, uh, my OCD, you know, I've got my, my problem is I've, my OCD. My OCD is mixing with my ADD and now I am, you know, uh, TNT or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> I'm curious how people feel when the OCD and the ADD come together. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, and, um, it's, I, I do think that for just to, right off the top is to, to invite people to consider not to say my ADD, my OCD, or even my ego, but to, to recognize that these are appearances. They, they are not real. They're not our true identity. So let, let us not claim that. Yeah. Not say my depression, my problem. Yeah, it's like truly, uh, you know, the phrase was always the, the uh, paralysis of analysis. And we could say it's the, it's really the the neuroses and the psychoses of of diagnoses. <laughs> uh, you know, it's when we diagnose, when we try to give the cause into form. You know, when they were, oh, there's a brain tumor, or let's diag- what's the diagnosis? Is that what caused it? You know, blah blah blah. It's that's what follows right away. The the problem is defined in form, in specifics. And really, the problem isn't in form or specific. So already the bait has been bought. And then when you go to expert after expert and, oh, that's, oh, that's terrible. I'll go for a second opinion. Oh, that's terrible. Go for a third opinion. I had a friend one time who worked with me for years and he was experiencing some, um, I guess what we might say heart palpitations. And, and then he went to the doctor and the doctor diagnosed it as, has something to do with his heart and then he didn't like the sound of that so he went for a second opinion and then went for a third opinion and then he called me up and he we we would talk for maybe 10 minutes and he went huh i'm just still looking outside for more opinions and if i don't like the opinion that i hear i, I look for another opinion and he started to see that that it was the it was the way the problem was defined again outside of the mind and here, in this case, heart palpitations, you know, it, those symptoms and looking for a diagnosis of what it is that's happening, you know, 
I think, was it fibromyalgia or whatever? They they have these things that are kind of catch-all diagnoses now where it's like, oh, it's got to be that. If it's nothing else, it's that. <laughs> you know, like there's got to be a cause or a reason. And we're just starting to realize that, that that whole line of thinking is not going to lead you to joy and not going to lead you to healing. And it doesn't really matter the form of it. When you're looking for the problem in specifics, you're just looking in the wrong place. So for someone who is experiencing debilitating illness and if they're if they're going to be willing to open to have a true awareness that all healing is at the level of the mind and to work with that without blame saying oh because uh, I we hear this all the time that somebody says oh I'm sick I want to or uh, you know something terrible happened to me you, you know uh, they're labeling it terrible like, um, you know, my house was burned to the ground or whatever. I got fired from my job and they're saying, so I'm, I'm looking, what did I do to, to deserve this? They're saying, oh, I'm trying to think what, what's in my mind that caused this. And so in a sense, yeah, there can be value in saying, okay, what is going on in my mind that's out picturing this way? But in my perception many of the occurrences in our life are yes you could say that oh there is some thought that's out picturing here but discovering that thought is not necessarily the fastest path to peace and harmony but to say okay whatever caused whatever the root cause is i don't need to know what the root cause is i'm interested in the healing yeah what's going to bring me to the healing not how did i get here but where am i going and how am i going to get there yeah yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's that would be focusing all your energy on on the forgiveness, on on the release. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit knows what an illusion is, and and it just doesn't help you if you're metaphysical ghosting and you're just you know throwing pink paint on everything. Oh, that's an illusion. That's an illusion. That's an illusion. If you don't feel good, that's not good. You know, you should put the pink paint can away. And quit throwing the paint all over the place and start to go inward and, and start to desire the forgiveness. I want the forgiveness. I want the correction. Uh, it's not forgiveness the way, you know, where, where somebody did you wrong and if you're going to make an amend in some way or somebody's got to make an amend, but it's more letting go of, of, of a distorted misperception of the whole world. And when Jesus says in the manual for teachers, you know, you know, what does uh, healing cost you? And he says it costs you the whole world you see. Uh, the whole world you see because you will never be ever again a victim. You will never again point the blaming finger. You will never again look for that source outside. It's, he's saying healing, true healing, lasting healing comes from that turnaround in mind. And the faster we come to really realize that, the better. And and I do feel like only forgiveness heals and unforgiveness is the fast track, not necessarily tracing all the symptoms back to this thought or that thought, but it's more starting to come to a deeper experience that you aren't the thinker of any of those thoughts, that, that, that those aren't your real thoughts, and that you've got to be willing to let them all go in order to have the healing, which you can see is so much different healing in mind as opposed to piecemeal healing like 
almost like you're collecting little chains on a on a necklace or a bracelet. And how many beads do you have? Oh, I've got <laughs> 75 now. I'm, you know, the spirit's not interested in 75 beads. It wants the whole necklace, uh, and it won't. You won't get the healing until you give over the whole necklace. Yeah, it's it's interesting how the ego gets into our spiritual practice and into our healing, and that that whole thing of uh, OCD and ADD and those labels, it's just another form of separation. You know, oh, this is my problem. I'm labeling it this. The ego mind likes to label everything. And it is about just surrendering it all, all these perceptions, all these beliefs. And it's there has to be the the willingness that can only really come from realizing what has true value because as long as we think well i can't be happy unless i have this kind of home or this kind of job or this kind of spouse or this kind of income or i can't be happy unless both my legs are working properly right mm-hmm. and i can't be happy unless both my eyes are working properly and my heart is not palpitating if if it, there's any condition to our happiness that we are believing in, then our experience is going to say, okay, all right, then if that's what you believe, here it is. Yep. Here it is. And so we delay our true happiness, the true joy that's our natural state, by believing that it's conditional. Yeah, that's it. And it really is about giving the whole necklace. Yeah. That's where the healing occurs. And, yeah. And just kind of starting to embrace the the here and now, let all things be exactly as they are, coming to this just total acceptance instead of trying to flee, you know, trying for the geographical cure or the relationship cure or, you know, if, if I change my life and it looks that way, then I'll be happy. It's quite a treadmill. It's like a spiritual treadmill of just spinning, 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 busy, 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 and then... It seems to be a lot of reinforcement in the world because it's the ego's world. So, oh, very good. Very, very busy. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and I even have people who call and write to me, and they can't even just write a hello without opening up with an apology. I'm so sorry. I know you're a very busy man. See, they've diagnosed me as a man already, <laughs> and they've missed the boat. But but we, we were talking, too, uh, about uh, availability and I, I'm going to use the one you were sharing today about I'm invisibly, I'm <laughs> totally available <laughs> always. And the visibly, you know, we just have to leave that to spirit as far as, you know, answering a call and and being able to, to physically put a voice to something or something like that. Then that's beyond our control. That's the Holy Spirit's uh, call. But I'm invisibly available <laughs> to everyone. I like I liked how you said that today. Well, that's it. We're as as uh, mystical beings. We're learning to work in the invisible, so we're always connected to all good invisibly. So you know, the the ego will always try and convince you. Oh, if you don't have it in your hand or parked in your garage, it's or sleeping in your bed, <laughs> right. it's not there. <laughs> you don't have it. You're lacking. So. Um, Oh, I had uh, one more thought, and we're almost at time here, David. 
and uh goes by so fast. Yes, yes, it does. Oh my gosh, we've been talking all day too. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, the it to me, all of this healing, whether it's depression, OCD, ADD, whatever the label is, whatever the diagnosis is, all the healing is required of our our willingness to forgive, which to me is just non-judgment. If you live in non-judgment, then there's never anything to forgive. So to me, you don't have to keep forgiving everything if you just don't allow your mind to judge it. If your mind starts to go to judgment and you say, oh, wait a minute, I don't know what anything is for. I can't see through all directions of time and space, so I'm going to reserve. Uh, I'm just going to take a pass on forming an opinion or a judgment and labeling anything. I, I just don't know what anything is for. Yeah. So I'll I'll just I'll just I'll allow God to tell me what to do, where to go, and it's it can sound so that sounds insane to the, the ego. The ego is going to say, well, who's going to pay your rent if you're just going to wait for a spirit to tell you where to go? And how do you pay your rent, David? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we have to. It's always given for us, and and not knowing how you're going to pay your rent becomes more exciting. Than the seemingly knowing in form, uh, which is not really so steady. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And so the miraculous healing is available for everyone. There is no one for whom it's not available. Yeah. If you believe it's not available for you, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're always right because what the mind desires is what the mind gets. So then you really have to take a look at what what is it that I want. Yeah. Yes. What is it that I want? Why do I want it? And then, and then you can even relax the wanting mind and just say, I'm willing to take on faith that I already have it. It's pre-installed. And the end of wanting then begins. And the beginning of having dawns in the mind. Yeah. yeah. And that exploration. And, yeah. and there's the healing. And it is miraculous. It is miraculous. The because I, I can remember making lists of things I wanted, you know, because that that there are spiritual teachers who t- teach about making lists of what you want. And uh, oh, I know one thing that kept coming into my mind to share, David. Are you familiar with Joel Goldsmith? Oh yes. Yeah, a great mystical teacher was a Christian Science practitioner, and one of my favorite prayers he talks about. He says, he says, God. I will not make you my messenger boy. I will not ask you for things and try to get you to deliver them to me. I ask only one thing, and that is the gift of you yourself. That's all that I desire. And uh, I think it is it, it is a beautiful prayer. It can only come from the heart. It's not an intellectual prayer, but to to really say, I'm I'm not going to try and make God my messenger boy anymore. I'm not going to pray for things anymore. And I'm going to step into that unlimited and and the space of let me be truly helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Let me be truly instead of trying to get something all the time, let me share. Let me be truly helpful. Because no matter how intense your experience of OCD or ADD or depression is, there is somebody that could use your kindness. 
and would feel healed by it. Beautiful, yeah. Always. Yes. Look around for them. Make yourself available to be truly helpful. Yeah. And the love will come pouring through you, and your healing will be right there. Amen to that. Yeah. So we're going to, it's time here. We're going to pray out in just a moment. But before we close, you have so many free resources, David. You have such a wealth of material, years and years and years of free recordings. What's the best way for people to access that? Well, I think I always go for the ones that are easiest to remember. So uh, the couple that are coming to mind are two websites, acim.cc and acim.me. And the last one is the is Spreaker, which uh, we just record so many of these wonderful talks, gatherings, dialogues in all these different countries, China and different places with translators and so forth. And then they're easy to just download to your MP3 players or put into your car and take along in some way. And it's easy to have it very accessible and to repeatedly listen to it and pause it and go back and, you know, that's, that's what's really good. So those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. They're easy to remember. And it's so true. The more you listen, the more you hear. Because it's, it, when, when you listen with the aspiration of truly hearing, you will hear the voice of your own holiness, the I Am Presence, speaking through whomever you're listening to. Because that's all there is anyway. Yeah, just you. Yeah, just you talking to you, yeah. listening to you. Yeah. Yeah, saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll stay on the line for a few minutes and just share about some of the retreats that you and I have coming up. We've got three retreats coming up. We'd like to share that with people. So I'm going to invite everyone to place your hand on your heart again, and even now as we're turning in to make the decision to listen to the replay. The replays are free for 48 hours, and then there's the class tomorrow morning, the homework class. So you've got two classes this week to listen to and to share with friends. So we invite you to bring along your friends. So if you have someone who is struggling with these kinds of mental issues, emotional issues, to uh, invite them to discuss it with you and to hear something that can support them, so it's totally free. So we take this breath of love and gratitude together and we give thanks that our healing is available to us, that the infinite source and supply of all good is right where we are. It's accessed through our loving heart. The kingdom is within and it is available to us now and forever, 24-7, live streaming. The entire source of good, always available to us. And we're cultivating that commitment, that discipline of willingness to give thanks, to be in gratitude, to have true humility, to open our hearts and minds to the healing that is ours to have and to share. We give thanks and in gratitude that our healing In our expansion, we do share with everyone so grateful and so thankful for the unity and the oneness of all life. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen.
So we love you and appreciate you, and we are uh, grateful. So just before we, we finish out here, just take a few minutes to share about the three retreats we've got coming up. So we're doing uh, two back-to-back retreats, Christmas and New Year's. you want to share a little about that, David? Yeah, again, Christmas is uh, December 21st to 27th, and New Year's is the 28th to January 3rd. It is going to be at the Living Miracles Monastery uh, near Fruitland, Utah, and uh, there's transportation available, shuttles to take you from the airport in Salt Lake City out there. Uh, It's about two hours each way. There will be some beautiful volunteers around us cooking for us, uh, uh, nurturing us as we are there, uh, making sure the hot tub is nice and warm, uh, making sure there's logs on the fire uh, to be nurtured and kind of pampered as we go inward into the stillness. And it's this sense of like-minded sharing. You know, there's that synergy when you come together and you just feel the deep vibe and you sink inward. And uh, so, and there's, some walking space 49 acres um it's just it just feels like it's a it's a gift to yourself that you know will radiate to all of your friends and family loved ones because when you nurture yourself with that much care then it it blesses everyone it blesses the whole universe it's so beautiful there the the energy in the land in the community is so nurturing it is definitely inspiring and uplifting and we're starting on the the end of the Mayan calendar we're starting on the winter solstice so we're going to be in sacred gathering on that day what a wonderful opportunity in this beautiful space setting a holy intention to really uh, commune with the Christ presence over the Christmas and New Year's holidays to be in joyful community together playing together and enjoying uh, times of silence together and meditation together, uh, doing some uh, easy hiking, enjoying nature, and I know we're going to watch some mystical movies. Yes, yes. So we'll play and have fun and eat delicious food in community together. What a wonderful way to spend Christmas. Yeah, there might even be some eye-gazing with some rabbits and chipmunks and uh, maybe some goats, wild mountain goats in there thrown in. <laughs> And then Kalani, oh my gosh, we are sitting here right now at Kalani's Oceanside uh, Retreat Center, Center, and uh, we have dear friends here. We are surrounded by them. We're in in an office of a friend who's into the course and disappearance of the universe, and there's a whole group of staff here Mm -hmm. who are into it. So again, it's that nurturing, loving presence that's around us, and, and hot tubs and swimming pools and and this is a pretty warm uh, jungle climate that is uh, nurturing as well to the soul. Yeah, if you've never been to the Big Island of Hawaii, we're in the, the beautiful jungle part on the southwest corner, and uh, we're right here on the ocean. It's spectacularly beautiful, just spectacular. It's like the land that time forgot. And uh, we'll be going snorkeling in tide pools with that are like giant tropical aquariums, and we'll we can go swimming with the giant sea turtles and beautiful um, pristine little inlets, and swimming with the wild dolphins like I did yesterday, which was totally amazing, amazing. They were 
jumping around me and swimming around me and buzzing me and playing. It was just unbelievable. And uh, there's the black sand beaches, which are just amazing, that lava sand. And then there's the Pele volcano itself, which is you can see the flowing lava. You can go up and see the amazing steam vents. Have you seen that, David? No, I haven't seen it's the steam amazing. vents. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, the, uh, this, this hot, incredible steam is just pouring out of the ground and sulfur emissions, and it's gorgeous. It's just like nothing you've ever seen, uh, the crater on top of the volcano. It just It's a jaw-dropper. And um, I can't even, I don't even think I can list all the things that we could do. And they at the retreat center here, the food, everything is organic and natural and delicious. Uh, they really make an effort. Uh, they use all seventh-generation products and organic soaps and uh, toilet paper. I mean, everything is just top, you know, quality for the earth, and uh, everybody is so loving and kind. There's three yoga classes a day, so there's plenty to entertain yourself with, and then we'll have our times of gathering and teaching, and and uh, David and I are looking forward to doing the adventures with you and uh, exploring the island together and having a really relaxing, refreshing, renewing retreat. All three of the retreats, and we've been making videos, which we'll be posting at YouTube, um, and there are some there already at your YouTube channel. What's your YouTube channel? Oh, it's just uh, David Hoffmeister. After you go to YouTube.com and you do the forward slash, just David Hoffmeister is one word. It uh, It'll come up. Yeah, mine is Jennifer H. Hadley. So we're posting these videos that we've been making. And um, uh, so if you go to jenniferhadley.com forward slash retreats or just go to the events page at jenniferhadley.com, you can click through and read about the retreats and see all the information there and join us either at Christmas, New Year's, or pre-Valentine's Day or Valentine's Day gift to yourself at this early part of February. Yeah, in Kalani, that's, it's a lot of unstructured time. Uh, the teachings will probably be in the evenings and the, the daylight. Wow, all those things that Jennifer mentioned. Sometimes people say, I just want to visit you. Could I just kind of live with you? Could, you know, I mean, I watch your YouTubes and this and that, but it'd be fun to just to live and hang out and live and talk in casual ways when we're walking or doing something else. So I think that's the, that's the yeah. blessing of the Kalani retreat. It's, a little different from some of the other ones. For those that I live with in community, they know the feeling, but for those that, that see Jennifer and I kind of jet-setting around doing a lot of classes or workshops and things, this is a, a little more of a slice of life. Yeah, so we're going to be vacationing together with with teachings on the side. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's always uh, profoundly healing to be with like-minded individuals and traveling and the the nature, the 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 land out there at the monastery, the land here at Kalani, it it's a healing place. It really is, and uh, I feel so uplifted and inspired to be in either one. So mm-hmm. I know we're going to have just wonderful time. And uh, so it, I also, you know, I was thinking, David, that this would be the Kalani experience would be a great thing for if you have a partner who is not into the teaching so much, they would have a great time joining us because 
the teachings are not going to be the lion's share of it. The vaca- you know, the vacationing part, the fun part of uh, playing together is going to be uh, a, a large focus in the day. So, uh, and I think the way that we offer the teachings, it's so practical. You know, we're really in that space of being very, very, very deep on a practical level rather than intellectual and elusive in a sense. So uh, if people want to bring along a spouse who might not be into the teachings, that spouse will get along just fine. And there's other activities they could do when we're in the teachings. They can uh, go do hula dancing or... Yeah, <laughs> get a fun massage. Is, fun is contagious, and we do have fun. Uh, it, I guess you know people will say, "Are you working or not?" <laughs> and it's hard to tell sometimes yeah. because because it's a lot of fun, and and it does spread. It is contagious, and I love being with people and traveling with people that are having fun as well. And it just, just we have fun with everybody yeah. too. We draw everybody into it too. Yeah, it's lovely. So unique opportunities to. Enjoy the teaching, enjoy the restoration, the revitalizing, because sometimes spiritual seekers can drive themselves so hard that there's no fun in their life. You know, there's, there's, it's all work and no play. And so it's actually quite a, a spiritual awakening to realize how healing being playful is. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to have fun and be playful in all our retreats. Yeah. Beautiful. So I think that's it for us. Yes. Lots of love. You're in our hearts, and thanks so much for tuning in today. It's been such a blessing. God bless, and I'll uh, I'll be with you in the homework class in the morning. Love you. Bye. This is Jennifer Hadley again. I invite you to remember that your dedication to your life of love is the best gift that you can share with the world. Love is the only healer, and it's always available to you for the asking. Remember, too, that you cannot have that which you're unwilling to share. Share the love today. Love out loud and know that all boats rise on this holy tide of love. Thank you for joining us. Please go to jenniferhadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day.